Smoking, a Constantine podcast, recorded live from the 8 Bar, located in the back of Atomic Books in lovely Baltimore, Maryland. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Ben. And I believe we have all of our technical difficulties worked out. Seems successful thus far. Okay, we we switched over from uh, Google Hangouts on Air, which was giving us choppy sound as it recorded, to Mixler. So if you are listening through Mixler, hello. There's a chat room. Come join us. You can chat with us while we, we podcast. Or you are probably listening straight from our No Smoking Constantine webpage at secondcoursepodcast.com, where you can listen live as well. So, this week we are talking about episode three of season one, The Devil's Vinyl. It was written by Mark Verheiden. Yes, I, I was waiting for you to pronounce that name. <laughs> uh, he's done a lot of writing work. He's been involved with a lot of stuff. He's done uh, comics. He's been involved with Superman, the American, Aliens, Predator, the Evil Dead comic series. Uh, on TV, he's been involved with uh, Smallville, Heroes, Battlestar Galactica, and most recently, Hemlock Grove. Uh, and film, he uh, his film resume is not as impressive to me <laughs> as some of the other stuff he's done. Come on, Time Cop! <laughs> Time Cop, The Mask, and My Name is Bruce, which I've never heard of. Oh, yeah, that was, a, I, that was like a kung fu sort of uh, Bruce Lee parody film from the 1980s, I think. Haley, do you remember My Name is Bruce? All right. Yeah, that w- I'm pretty sure I had that on VHS. What's that? Yeah, Haley is a big fan of Time Cop. The Haley we, we're, we're talking to is a, an employee of Ben who works here at the bar and the bookstore. We might actually have a lot more people talking to us throughout the, the show, so it's like actually having a real conversation. Yeah, so we're, we're, I should point out that we're doing this live from uh, the bar in the, in the back of Atomic Books, so from time to time I might have to get up and uh, get a drink or serve somebody a drink or do something. Do something along those lines. So if I disappear for a while, uh, that's what's happening. And when Ben does that, I will um, entertain you with my rendition of My Heart Still Goes On from the movie Titanic. Oh, you have a lovely singing voice. (laughs) Uh, So the director is uh, Romeo Tyrone. uh, He's directed Dexter, True Blood, Red Widow, Nurse Jackie, Rectify, and Once Upon a Time. Some of those, uh, well, all right, that's that resume can speak for itself. <laughs> uh, so I gave this episode, The Devil's Vinyl, out of 10, uh, seven freezing cold records. All right, and I'm giving it out of five, 3.5 hands of glory. Okay, so why 3.5? Well, I thought, I thought, um, I, I like this episode a little bit better than the second episode. I thought the pacing was a little bit uh, better. I thought the characters were a little bit more developed. The horror elements were still pretty good. Uh, like the um, the hand of glory scene in the in the mortuary where all of the bodies start coming back. Yeah, uh, that that was pretty fucking nightmarish. Uh, I think that it could have been. I feel like direction-wise, there were there were some missed elements of some some truly creepy slow mo sort of or overwhelmingly horrific senses like um, 
uh, toward the end uh, when Constantine starts uh, puts on the headphones to listen uh, to uh, the Sex Pistols and then runs through the radio station. Like I felt like that could have been shot in a more sort of epic tracking scale than it really was. Yeah, um, it was still pretty good though. So I thought I thought that the the um, the character elements were better defined. I, th- I felt the horror elements were were there uh, and still pretty good. Um, there were some. Little creepy supernatural things that took place that uh, that are tied into like real myth, and um, but I also like there was an, there was more of an introduction to uh, some some comedic stuff. Yes, uh, there was that I thought it probably will serve the series well if they don't take themselves too seriously and uh, continue to develop the humor, uh, the self-referential humor in there. Yeah, I felt this episode was very tongue-in-cheek uh, in, in the humor aspect, and I also felt like it felt like a TV show, but it also felt like uh, like I was reading a comic book at the same time. Like it like I felt like I was reading an issue of the Constantine comic and coming back to that scene with the, the bodies coming back to life, that was pretty horrific. And it was something that after it happened, I was like, yeah, why wouldn't that happen? Why wouldn't they all come, come to life? Right. It's an impro. It's a, so the, in the episode, they use this thing called, um, the, uh, Oh wait! I just said the hand, the hand of glory. The, yeah, the hand of glory uh, to call back the recently deceased. The, except that it's an imprecise mechanism. So they're in a mortuary, and as a result of that, any of the deceased that are around them are called back. Um, yeah, at the all at once. So <laughs> you, they're waiting for. They're leaning over this dead guy to to kind of come back to talk to them and he doesn't quite seem to be getting the call and they're starting to give up and then everything in the uh, mortuary just goes batshit crazy. Right. And I love that scene. The only thing that got me is Zed's reaction wasn't as extreme as I thought it should Mm -hmm. be because I thought maybe she should be like, wait, wait a minute. All these bodies are coming back to life. I thought only this one should come back to life. But, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think that was probably one of the highest points of the episode for me. Um, so let's just jump right in with what this episode was about. Do a synopsis and then uh, yeah. uh, pick it apart or compliment it. Yeah. So this is all about a woman named uh, Jasmine Fell who uh, sold her soul to the devil. They call him the first fallen in this episode. First of the fallen. Yeah. And she sold her soul to save her husband, who's a musician, from dying of cancer 20 years earlier. Right. He's a, he's a metalhead, it should be pointed out. Yes. Uh, and... Uh, she gets told by the soul broker to find this record from what moonrise or moonshine it's records. A, yeah it's an acetate it's, it hasn't i mean it's technically it's not a record because it's never been pressed and released they just cut it uh live uh it's an old blues performer that they cut live as he was recording and then it's the, at the same moment when the first of the fallen has come to reclaim the contract that he had on his soul which is Obviously, they're playing with that whole notion of uh, blues and the crossroads and the devil and Robert Johnson, Robert Johnson selling yeah. his soul to the devil. Um, so they just happen to be cutting the acetate uh, as the guy, as the blues guy, has his soul reclaimed by the first of the fallen. So on the acetate is the voice of the first of the fallen, which we're not meant to hear. Um, and but at the same time, the acetate wants to be played because uh, it basically claims more souls every time you hear his voice. Right, and uh, it has this, the voice of the devil, which infects people and makes them want to do evil things, right, kill the, people. It's like freezing cold to the touch. It, yeah. like, if you're near it, you can hear it whisper and saying things like, come on and play us, we want to be heard, that sort of thing. Right, and, and so she goes looking for this record to save her soul. Uh, and 
that's like the opening of the episode. And then the next thing we see, you know, Zed has found her way to the uh, mill house that Constantine and Chaz have set up in a, outside Atlanta. And they use her skills to find out what's going on in Chicago to get some sort of impression because the stigmata mark on Chicago on the map from the first episode is lit up and they're off to Chicago to find him. But one thing I want to uh, talk about before we move on is that is, is, is the Millhouse a TARDIS? Okay, so there, there, there are two fans of Doctor Who will, will notice two familiar, uh, at least two familiar things, at yes. least I'd notice two, two tropes um, that, that occur in Doctor Who. Uh, one of which is the Millhouse, which is Constantine's base of operation. Uh, it's much bigger on the inside. So that's very Tardisy, um, but so the question the question that I have as a viewer is: What exactly is this is this Millhouse? Is the Millhouse uh, was was it left over from Episode One and it was Baron Manch- like handed down from Baron Winters and it's his mansion? Because in uh, the the comic series Night Force, Baron Winters has uh, this house that's much huger on the inside. It's still a big house that appears and disappears inside Washington D.C. and it's it gives you transdimensional access. It gives you portals to other parts of the world. It's just like a giant magical entity. And they allude to that with the hallway that they open up and look down that seems to be never-ending. And and Constantine says, "Uh, I'm not even ready to go there, so let's close that door. Right. And then so the other thing that it could be uh, is um, that it might be a reference to uh, Constantine, uh, the House of Mystery. Uh, in DC Comics, there are two big powerful houses. There's the House of Mystery, and then there are House of Secrets, both of which were at one point in time owned by Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain was the caretaker of the House of Mystery. Abel was the caretaker of the House of Secrets. They're the, the brothers in the Bible where one kills yeah, the, other one, right? the other one. And the creation of vampires right. and whatnot. So, um, and... Years ago, what those houses were were originally a uh, uh, a comics anthology mechanism for DC Comics to tell horror and mystery stories, s- sort of in the vein of like EC Comics. But okay. instead of the Crypt Keeper, you would have Kane if you were reading one series, or you would have Abel if you were reading the other. Um, and then as DC Comics progressed. Uh, and the, 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 these houses progress, they've become like these sort of magical entities inside the DC Comics universe. Uh, one of them uh, is, a, is a current plot line in Justice League Dark comic series. At one point in time, Constantine had taken, uh, uh, he had taken possession of or ownership of the House of Mystery. And again, these are both houses which are magical entities, so they look like normal houses on the outside, but inside they're vast, they change, they, they mutate, they have... You know, they 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 they're they're endless basically. And, and Chaz kind of alludes to that by saying he's taken measurements of the rooms, and the the measurements constantly keep changing an inch here or a centimeter there. So, what are you leaning more towards? Is it the house of mystery, or is it uh, the mansion that in DC that keeps disappearing? Yeah, the Baron, the Winter's Mansion. I think I'm gonna. I, I my suspicion is they're probably gonna drop the Baron Winters um, or the Jasper Winters story arc because they've cast away his, that, his daughter that character from the series from the pilot and they're probably going to move more toward house of mystery but either way um you know it's still if you're if you've read the comics it's an interesting architectural sort of entity that exists in the dc comics they're not necessarily stealing it from doctor who um it's 
it's an it's a fairly common uh, trope in magic comics where you have right. these houses that go on forever once you get inside. Um, so that was thing one. I guess I'll talk to I'll talk about the other thing now, and then yeah. we'll go back into the synopsis. So the other thing that people might notice that seems familiar to Doctor Who is John Constantine's magic playing card where he'll mm-hmm. hold it up and whatever it is you want it to be in order for him to uh, you know and be able to progress in what he wants to do that's what you will see so if somebody knocks at your door and they don't look like a detective and you want to see ID he holds up the magic card and it's It'll, it'll be a detective's ID. Or in this case, if you're a homeless person who's stealing his clothes as he's bleeding to death, you want it to be a platinum credit, credit card. card, then it's a platinum credit card. Uh, that doesn't quite work out for John the way that he had hoped it would, but... It at um, least gets him into a ho- hospital room earlier right. in the episode. So this is, this is, yes, and this is very similar to um, what you see in Doctor Who with uh, his psychic, psychic paper uh, credentials. So Doctor Who will hold up... Uh, you know, when, when invariably in an episode, somebody will be like, well, who are you? Why are you here? You don't belong here. And he'll hold something up and say, well, this is who I am. And then the person will be like, oh, you're from the Bureau of Inspections. OK, well, come on through. Isn't there also a similarity in the fact that his clothes um, appear to be whatever people want them to be? When he's outside the TARDIS? Because he goes into different time periods and he's dressed sort of modern. Oh, yeah. The TARDIS kind of exudes sort of a magical... I guess in this case it'll be some sort of scientific-based uh, force around the Doctor where, I th- yeah, he can he can costume out um, right. and, and look a certain way that blends in with the population. Okay, so those are the similarities. And I picked up on those when I was watching as well, thinking, what's going on here? And it's kind of interesting that that I thought of those because I was having a conversation with someone earlier this week and they said that they thought Matt Ryan should have been into contending to be the next doctor oh, because yeah. he's such a good actor. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, maybe he's doing Constantine to boost his, <laughs> uh, you know. I don't know. I, I like Capaldi right now. I think uh, while this these episodes, the, the last season of Doctor Who were uh, some of the worst scripted episodes I've ever seen, uh, Capaldi as the Doctor is is far superior to Matt Smith, and he's very watchable. I just wish that they would get somebody uh, running that show that has a better sense of of what they're doing or what 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 is actually interesting and good uh, than what's currently going on. Because he his Doctor is is a fascinating Doctor. So. Right. I haven't seen any of his Doctor because mm. I'm not a Doctor Who fan. <laughs> Don't kill me. Um, so anyway. Uh, yeah, so Zed is in the house that we've been talking about, and uh, they decide they're going to go to Chicago because of Constantine's good old friend, Bernie, uh, who is a record producer, killed himself. And he's like, Bernie would never kill himself. We need to know what, what's going on. And so they head to Chicago after Zed has a vision of cold weather and Jasmine. And the Jasmine comes back in later in the episode because we find that the woman who was looking for the record or the acetate um, her name is Jasmine Fell, and she's married to the uh, what metalhead guy who was dying of yeah, cancer. The, the metal rock star. Yeah, she she sold her soul to to save him, and she was looking for the record to give to the record broker in order to save her soul. So the first the first plot red herring there is Constantine goes charging in, busts through a plate glass window, and is going to beat up the metal guy because he thinks he's sold his soul to the devil. To become a rock star. To become a rock star, when in fact he hasn't. Uh, his wife has sold her soul to the devil in order to save him from dying from cancer years ago. Right. And so... Uh, this comes in... This is where the hand of glory comes in because they have to get information about how to where to progress, where to move on. And they go to the morgue where Bernie is 
held and they use the hand of glory to bring him back to life momentarily. And this is where we find out about mucous membrane that he mentions mucous membrane for a minute. And this is how he knows Bernie because Bernie produced his first band's record and they never went very far because they were more interested in just meeting girls than making music. Right. Like, uh, as most original punk rock bands were interested in, they saw it as a means to make a few dollars to uh, either buy drinks or score some heroin and also to get laid. And that's essentially what, you know, being... uh, Constantine is from wave one punk rock, so being from wave one punk rock, albeit the British side, uh, which came a little bit after the American side, uh, he's still... uh, He is of that... They were of that era and mindset where this is all we're trying to accomplish. And then he got more involved in the dark arts and then things went wonky uh, and he ended up, uh, you know, later on in an insane asylum, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, So just a a quick note. I think, uh, so I I like little Easter eggs for fans. And I think the TV show has a great opportunity here to, uh, post a free downloadable mucous membrane single single online someplace or perhaps record store day is coming up in may release a mucous membrane uh single for record store day uh in may that would be kind of like i would like to have that record i you know i don't know what it would sound like hopefully it would be well done um probably wouldn't be but you could (laughs) you could you could hire some studio musicians to knock out a, a quick easy punk rock track it can't be hard to write a three chord song that only lasts two and a half minutes right as long as you have three chords and the truth <laughs> Bono joke. Well, <laughs> well, either way, Bernie Bernie leads them to Moonrise, Moonshine. I can't remember the name records, and they realize they have Moonrise, to, Moonrise. They have to go to the the uh, owner of Moonrise who's dying in a hospital. They visit him, and uh, they use the magic card to get access to him. And he lets them know all the whole story about this blues musician who recorded the record who. While he was recording, uh, the devil came back to reclaim his soul. The devil's voice ends up on the record. And, uh, and so they, they leave him. But before we move on from him, uh, Manny the Angel shows up here in this scene. At the end of them talking to the owner of Moon, Moonrise Records, uh, he says he sees an angel in the corner. Oh, right, right. And, uh, and it's like he's about to die. Everything slows down, except for Constantine. Next thing we know, Manny is there. Why Manny? Right. Manny shows up there, and he shows up again later in the episode. And so my argument is, uh, first of all, Manny wouldn't... Following the way that the angel hierarchy works in the comics, Manny would not necessarily be the person that's reclaiming the souls of the deceased to take them away to heaven. That's somebody else's job. Right. Um, Manny doesn't appear to be that kind of angel because he's constantly showing up to fuck with Constantine and try to guide him someplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only the only thing that I can figure out, and we, were, we, we had talked about this a little bit before we started recording, was that... Uh, you know, I think it's a contractual issue where the actor has a contract where he has to show up perhaps in so many episodes and uh, they had to work him into this episode. But there's real, I see no real reason for Manny to show up in this episode whatsoever. Later on, he sh- when he appears, uh, Constantine is like strapped to this metal cage in a warehouse and is bleeding to death. And Manny just essentially shows up to harass him, which is fine. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I think Angel showing up to harass Constantine, that works out well giving, given uh, his feelings toward angels I think that just helps fuel that hatred um, but there's I didn't see any sort of necessity to this plot or any sort of overarching plot for Manny to have shown up right and, and it just seemed he seemed out of, out of place and he shows up later on when when Constantine has been um, kind of 
captured by Papa Midnight, who we'll come back to later. But you know, and he's tied up, and Manny won't even free him. He just he just fucking with right. with uh, Constantine. You you're, you you've got this under control, John. You don't need my help. <laughs> don't think you're going to trade this for your soul, though. You've got to do the right thing. Right. It's I mean it's unnecessary exposition, and uh, it just seemed to be uh, kind of forced in there for no reason. But. So back to the owner of Moonrise Records. He leads them to the last name Fell, which is a, a John knows is a, a hack in his mind, metalhead rocker. And this is where we talked about he busts in and says, you sold your soul to the devil. I had a problem with this scene because once, it's, once the wife comes in and says that, no, he didn't sell his soul to the, devil, to the devil. I sold my soul to the devil to save him. You know, the husband seems to kind of accept all this without yeah, any question. <laughs> you know, he's like, "Oh, okay, so now we got to save your soul." His, and we his gotta character get this was pretty much a non-entity. <laughs> it was like, wait a minute. If if my wife had told me she had sold her soul to the devil, and like there were these people here that I didn't know coming back to find out what's going on with that, I think everybody in the room need to go off to the crazy house, right? Or, or at the very least, let's say you accept it, there might be some sort of emotional response of the fact that your wife has traded her eternal damnation for you to get a few extra years of life. <laughs> right. And there's none of that. So he seemed like a very flat character. Uh, but So she leads them to the soul broker. And we find out that the soul broker is actually not working to get her soul back because the soul broker can't give her her soul back. Well... I mean, yeah, so, yeah, all right, go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the soul broker, he can give her her soul back, but he would he would be putting himself in a bad way with the first of the fallen if he does that. It would be a, a career ender if you're a soul broker. Right. And for, for fans of Supernatural that are watching, a soul broker is essentially the same thing as, like, a crossroads demon, where you, instead of going to the crossroads and then drawing this circle, although these are all, these all come out of the same mythology, instead of going to the crossroads and uh, turn, you know, right, drawing a pentagram in the middle of the crossroad and saying some incantation and then a demon will show up and you'll make a deal... These soul brokers kind of tend to hang out at hospitals where they're desperate people. Right. Uh, they're kind of like ambulance chaser lawyers. And this particular soul broker has been hired by Papa Midnight to find the acetate because Papa Midnight wants this acetate because he thinks it's going to bring him power and make him some powerful guy in the underworld. Well, and this he, is where I'm going to let Ben talk about Papa Midnight. So he sees it essentially as a get out of hell for free card, right? So maybe he hasn't necessarily yet been damned to hell, but you you get the feeling that, you know, he's he Papa Midnight is is a bad guy. I mean, he's not he's not an evil character. He's not a complete and utter villain, but uh, he's a voodoo priest and he's also a drug leader, a drug dealer and a crime lord. So you assume that his hands are dirty somewhere along the way. Uh, so what he's looking for is a get out of jail free card so that uh, should he end up in jail, he can trade this acetate of the recording of the first of the fallen and get sent back out of uh, of, of uh, not get out of jail, but get out of hell for free card. Um, so pa uh, Papa Midnight again. He's so he's 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 going to be like an interesting foil, I think, moving forward with Constantine. Whereas uh, he's not again. He's not he's not a villain. He's not necessarily evil. He has his own agenda and his own interests. And at times, those are going to conflict with Constantine's. They're oftentimes going to be after the same thing for different reasons. Sometimes their interests may align, and you'll see them in episodes, perhaps uh, working together on problems. Um, but by and large, he's a foil. Yes, he is. And um, I have to say, I really enjoyed uh, Papa Midnight a lot. Uh, 
I kind of enjoyed him, enjoyed him a little bit more than than Constantine, and I think just because Papa Midnight is not constrained in any way, like he can do whatever he wants, he's not the hero or the anti-hero of this story. Uh, so it seems like he's just a little bit more fun of a character than Constantine actually is. Yeah, he he seems. I mean, he does seem pretty interesting. Um, I, I like a character like Papa Midnight is is. It's very easy to fall into some sort of uh, ridiculous caricature. Uh, I think this actor manifests the character uh, pretty well, at least based on this first episode. Who knows how it's going to turn up? But uh, he's definitely a promising character. Yeah. Um, so Papa Midnight actually sends out a couple of his dudes to retrieve the record from the house of uh, Ian Fell, the, the, the metal rocker, and Jasmine Fell. And they make their way. They get their record. And on their way back to delivering the record to Papa Midnight, they kind of get infected with its power, and they want it to. They want to play it because they feel like it needs to be played. They play it in a nightclub. Yes, they they decide to play. Uh, they go to where the first turntable that they can think of is because you can't. It's an acetate. You can't just put it in the CD player in the car. <laughs> uh, so that that's a little bit of a drawback. So they go to this nightclub uh, and play it, and uh, shit just goes crazy. And then they realize that they're going to go to a college radio right. station. It needs to be heard by more people. So at this point, Constantine uh, uh, and and uh, Zed are on the trail. Uh, I I think uh, Chaz shows up at this point as yeah, well. They, she calls, Zed calls Chaz up to come to town because things have gotten a little out of hand. Right. So they all show up and they're on the trail but at, at this point when they show up at the at the club, it's just a stream of bodies that they're pulling out of this club <laughs> that like are all just 20 bodies so lined up on the ground. Right. So the, obviously it's caused mayhem once more. So these guys have gone to a local college radio station because uh, I guess they didn't want to broadcast it on a bigger frequency with a corporate radio station or <laughs> perhaps that's all that's left in, in Chicago now is a college radio station. So or, they go to, or college radio stations is the only place that have turntables. Right. Yeah, maybe that's true. They Maybe they just all the corporate ones just stream it in from the corporate headquarters. Anyway, so the the, the uh, Papa uh, Papa Midnight's men who have been corrupted by uh, the acetate have now gone to this radio station and are going to broadcast this uh, record so that everybody within that has the radio station on will hear it, go insane, and uh, start killing people. Killing people, and then don't they? I think they eventually explode. Is what they do. Yeah. They do explode because because Constantine says some sort of magic and keeps them in the booth and they blow up. Oh, that's, I guess that's only when they're coming to reclaim. I'm trying to remember if anybody, everybody that hears it blows up or if it's just the people in possession of the acetate. I think it's just the people in the possession or, of the acetate. Because right. the, the, the blues guy blows up. Yeah, he does. He blew up. There's a, lot of, there's a couple of scenes of people in sound booths uh, exploding and then blood splattering all <laughs> over the wall where you, they did it the first time and they, obviously they seemed to like the way that that went so they did it again for the, for, for at, later on in a, in, towards the end of the story. And... Uh, I think thought it was interesting a music choice for Constantine to listen to as he was going in there to uh, cover up hearing the record himself. So instead of hearing blues, he was hearing uh, the Sex Pistols. Yeah. So it, in, <laughs> in, in order to charge through uh, the radio station of insane people all killing everything in their path, um, Constantine puts on some earbuds and plays uh, the Sex Pistols, uh, "God Save the Queen." 
No, I'm sorry. They, it's uh, Anarchy in the UK. Yeah, Anarchy in the UK. Uh, and uh, so it start. You know, it starts off with I am an Antichrist. You know, and which is perfect for the for the scene. Uh, the problem is uh, his. He probably should have tucked the. I think the cord of the earbuds. Like if thinking under in, his shirt. Yeah, you yeah. put it under your shirt if you're going to be running through people that are going to be grabbing at you, and it's of utmost importance for you to keep your earbuds in because otherwise they're going to get pulled out, which they did, and uh, you're going to be writhing in the floor in agony just before you you're about to explode. Now, um, I thought it was kind of interesting what he said when he put the earbuds in and started running. Instead of saying, give me some juice, Sid, he said, give me some juice, Johnny, which is a reference to Johnny Rotten, obviously. Um, So we all know who his favorite sex pistol is. Right. Right. Well, I mean, nobody would argue that Sid was uh, really... Aside from being some sort of cultural icon, that he was really musically important to the band. <laughs> no, he wasn't. Um, and so Papa Midnight actually shows up to save the day in this situation. Uh, Papa Midnight blows out the speakers that all the people are hearing the music from with a special weapon. He's using a magical rifle. Was it a Winchester? A Winchester. Also, I think a nod toward Sam and Dean Winchester from Supernatural and their magical bullet gun. Uh, that they start off they early in the early seasons they have a gun that fires a bullet that can kill a demon or something and, and it never misses and yeah and so he uh, Papa Midnight has a has a magical Winchester that never misses right and this is when the two men that work for Papa Midnight were blown up by Constantine with his little incantation and the record is sent back to hell and everybody is well happy it wasn't his saved. it wasn't his incantation I think what he was doing was calling. Wasn't he calling the demon forth to reclaim his... Or he was sending the record to hell. He was sending the record right. to hell. And as part of that process, those guys exploded. And, right. And he, so he destroyed the record. Therefore, he can't use it to get himself out of hell. Papa Midnight can't use it. Uh, he didn't want Papa Midnight to have it in the first place. So while it's not a victory for him, it's not a complete loss either because he denied Papa Midnight that magical item. Right. Uh, and the final thing of the episode is they finally bring back the Soul Broker to... Jasmine and Ian fell to, to save Jasmine's soul, and the way he has to release her soul is by physically eating the contract that she signed right. her and, soul over with. And just, just so you don't feel too bad, there's a really stilted and corny conversation that uh, Ian Fell has where it's like, come on, that was 20 years ago I had cancer. The, with <laughs> medical technology today, it's like, I don't know, dude. You got cancer. You still might die. You I don't, had three weeks to live right. with last time. That, that's, that seems pretty advanced. <laughs> Uh, when it, don't feel too bad if you're watching at home, folks. The metalhead might survive. Now, I had a couple nitpicks with this episode. Um, my first one, which, which isn't that major, was that uh, the daughter of Jasmine, like they made, they made a big deal that she has his daughter, and the daughter gets kind of like enthralled with the record and wants to play the record and plays the record and then gets infected by the record, but then nothing ever happens with the daughter. Well, she, they, they pull her away before a full infection can take place. I, don't, I think the daughter was a minor story element uh, where you were, you were supposed to... It was a little bit of a, of a narrative uh, herring where you were, you were supposed to think that maybe she was going to die or maybe you, you're, you're getting um, sort of a, a reference to Astra being sent to hell and here's another thing that Constantine's involved with where a small girl might be sent to hell uh, as a result of his inability to solve or deal with an issue um, but it's it's very she's a minor she's a minor story I don't feel like it was dropped because I don't she wasn't it it, it was a momentary uh, beginning of possession but she was never completely infected with anything so it's okay. not it, she, she hadn't been in contact with it long enough for it to really turn her or make her crazy or anything well, well the counterpoint to that is she actually picked it up off the 
the, the, the record shelf and held it for a while and spoke to it and said, I do want to play you. I do want to hear you. Whereas, you know, Papa Midnight's men who had it were in, just sitting in the car within five minutes. They were completely infected. So Right, but if you, if you had removed the record from their possession at that point before they had played it, before they had played the whole thing, okay. then perhaps that in fact that whatever is possessing them would also dissipate. Okay, that wasn't made clear to me, and so I guess that was something I had to come up with on my own. That's why I'm here to talk to you after the show. <laughs> okay, so the other gripe I had was we we talked last podcast, and I'm sure people can't, couldn't understand what we were talking about because that that audio quality was horrible. Um, that. In last week's episode, the victims of the episode were the evil coal mining bosses, you know, and typically coal mining bosses are not, you know, the nicest people in the world. And yeah, we don't we we we, we traditionally don't think of uh, people that own coal mines and do strip mining and things like that as being. Um, they may think of themselves as being wondrous benefactors to society, but as members of society ourselves, we tend to see them somewhat differently. Right. Not the coal miners themselves. The coal miners themselves are actually, you know, they're doing work and they're doing what they're grossly underpaid to do in very dangerous circumstances. But the mine owners are the ones that are exploiting the labor and the danger and put, sending workers oftentimes into dangerous conditions just because it's more cost effective than to make the conditions better. You're, they're mining coal, which is going to contribute to global warming. They're you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're not nice people. Right. And, but they became the victims. And in last week's episode, the, the quote unquote villain was not only a a member of a, uh, ethnic group, the Romani that had been villainized throughout, throughout history, but she was also a woman who was in an abusive relationship with her alcoholic husband. And now all of a sudden she's the evil person because she's calling up the Tommyknockers to take out the, the bosses. And I felt like we had the same thing happen this week where the politics were flipped, where the music actually was, you know, the devil's music as rock and roll and blues and all that stuff was criticized by a bunch of fire and brimstone Southern Baptist ministers in the 1950s when, you know, Elvis Presley and rock and roll were getting famous. And Well, this this trend, this, this this takes place before Elvis Presley and rock and roll. We're, we're going back to the 1920s and 30s when you're talking about blues. Right, we are, but... At least this kind of blues. But if you look at, you know, the cultural lineage of rock and roll, rock and roll came from, you know, the 1920s and 30s blues and bluegrass um, hybrid. And, you know, these fire and brimstone Southern Baptists were calling it the devil's music in the 1950s because it made kids rebellious and not want to listen to their parents and blah, 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 blah. And so I kind of felt like music in this episode was being you know, vilified and turned into the villain and actually physically literally became the devil's music because the devil's voice was on the record. And that kind of brought up in my mind all the thoughts of like in the 1980s when I was a little kid and they were saying, oh, if you listen to heavy metal records backwards, you can hear people say stuff about the devil and blah, 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 blah. So I just kind of, I was like, eh, really? Well, so I have a counterpoint to that, but I just want to point out, ironically, there are three, there are three types of music that make an appearance in this episode. There's punk rock, uh, there are the blues, and then there's heavy metal. And the one that has absolutely nothing to do with anything is heavy metal. It's the most irrelevant form of music. Whereas the punk rock is protecting you from, uh, is trying to protect Constantine from the uh, devil. devil. And then you have the blues, which is the devil's music. Um, So, but, so uh, what I'm going to argue is uh, essentially what you're dealing, you're dealing with is a cultural uh, folklore tale, right? Which is Robert Johnson going to the crossroads, uh, making a deal with the devil and becoming a famous blues legend 
legend and then to die a very early and untimely death uh, by the hand of uh, someone else. Now, uh, that's what that episode is playing with, and it shows up in, in shows like uh, Supernatural as well. So uh, in this instance, it, it's, you're dealing with uh, folklore. But also, rock and roll and blues are the devil's music, and they should remain the devil's music. <laughs> Keep your Jesus Christ out of my rock and roll. That, that goes out to you, Hold Steady. That goes out to you, Bell and Sebastian, everybody on Asthmatic Kitty Records. I don't need your genius. Your Jesus, Sufjan Stevens, Pedro the Lion. I don't need your Jesus. So let's keep the rock and roll and the blues, the devil's music, and uh, I'm all for that. I think Ben's going to have to go get some drinks for some people, so I'm going to let you know how you can contact us while he does that. Um, So you can contact us. The deadline for feedback is going to be every Saturday at 6 p.m., Um, And you can contact us by leaving some feedback on our voicemail, which is 443-491-8505. You can also go to secondcoursepodcast.com slash feedback where you can send us uh, an email or you can send us an audio file. So you want to record yourself talking about the episode, you can send us that. Or you can use our speak bite button where you can record your voice using your computer's microphone and send us some feedback directly that way. Later on in the episode, we're going to talk about... Um, our Twitter handles, but uh, Ben's signaling to me that he wants to talk about the hand of uh, God. Glory. Hey, glory, glory, not the hand of God. I, I guess I was caught up on the whole God rock thing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just wanted to bring up that, like, so last episode, uh, we were talking about the uh, the magical historical elements that take place. So uh, the Tommyknockers or the uh, Kolbla... Toblerone. Toblerone. Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever the the minor demons. Stupid British word. Yes, we call (laughs) we call them uh, Tommy knockers in the U.S. But that actually has a mythological and a folklore background. Same thing with uh, the Hand of Glory, which uh, it it is an it is considered an actual magical artifact. Uh, It's basically essentially the dried uh, and pickled hand of a man who has been hanged. Uh, It's usually the left hand, which has traditionally been seen as the sinister hand. Which is why years ago, if you were if you grew up and you were left-handed, they would beat the left-handedness out of you. Um, they would train you. Oh, to really? Write. Yes. Okay. They would train you to write with your right hand um, and do everything with your right hand because left lo- the left hand was the sinister hand. Or if the man. Uh, uh, if the criminal uh, was a murderer, uh, they would take the hand that committed the crime uh, and turn that into the hand of glory. Uh, the candle needs to be made from the fat of a hung uh, criminal. Uh, in another version, the wick of the hair, uh, the wick of the candle is actually made from the hair of the dead man. Uh, in some versions. Uh, the candle renders motionless those who the hand is presented to. In others, it gives light to the holders of the candle. So, like, you can walk through a dark room with a candle. You, you'll see the light, but nobody else will see the light. Uh, and it can also unlock any doors it, come across, it comes across. Uh, and it can only be put out, extinguished with milk. Uh, I, haven't, I didn't see any, uh, any instances where it had, it had traditionally the folklore suggests that it can be used to communicate with the dead. But um, that, that's obviously how it was used in this episode. Right. So, and Ben's going to mention some supernatural stuff every week. He's going to do some supernatural research on something that he thought was intriguing not during the, the not, episode. Not the TV show, but like the, the folklore and the, and the history of the magical items or the characters that are showing up. Right. Um, so I, I'm looking through my show notes, Ben, and I'm, I'm pretty much saying that I've, I've hit every possible uh, area that I wanted to talk about with this episode. 
Uh, I'm not sure. Is there anything we're missing on your end? No, I'm 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 pretty happy. I, I I like I said, I enjoyed this episode. I thought it was. I liked the humor. I liked the pacing. I thought the horror elements were pretty good. My my main criticism is that if uh, NBC wants a show like this to look and play like a cable show, um, then they need to step up the quality of the filming right. and, the, and the writing of it a little bit more. Right now, it's playing like a fun network TV show, but it does not transcend the realm of network television. No, it doesn't. It, it feels much more like a WB oh. or Fox show. Although it is pretty gory. I mean, there's the, the one element uh, where the woman was uh, tracking down the record and she goes in. She, oh, she the hung animals? She, yeah, so she has to open this door where there are all these squirrels that are either hung in front of the door or nailed to the door. And then she goes inside and there are all these bloody animal carcasses. The one thing that I did notice is there's a deer carcass on the floor and as she goes into the room its leg actually uh, kicks twice. <laughs> like that's That was a that nice was, little that, touch. Yeah, yeah was that creepy. was a nice little touch. So once again um, feedback deadline is always going to be Saturday at 6pm. If you send us feedback we will play it on the air as we're, we're talking about the podcast when we get to a feedback section. This is obviously where we would do it right now but we don't have any feedback. Um, we we want to do live feedback, so you can call the number 443-491-808505 uh, while we're on air. If you When we indicate, I mean, if you wanted to call right now, you could because the lines are open and you could tell us how you feel about the episode or our job as podcasters. Uh, speaking of our job as podcasters, <laughs> I, I have to mention this because uh, I got yelled at on Twitter today, Ben. Um, is it that you weren't making like political tweets again? No, no, I wasn't doing that. But uh, I am. Uh, I started this whole podcast as a uh, a Hannibal podcast. You know, uh, second course was a Hannibal podcast to play on. You know, the second course of a meal, and uh, I've been podcasting for a couple years, and I've kind of grown not away from Hannibal, but more than just Hannibal. I do multiple podcasts now, and. Uh, so I put out a tweet today that we were going to be doing this live Constantine podcast, and one of my followers tweeted to me that, uh, how dare I, it's poor form that I would put anything out about Constantine because uh, um, he signed up for a Hannibal podcast, not a Constantine podcast. <laughs> so and, and obviously there's a lot to talk about with Hannibal right now as that show is not on the it's, air. You're right. <laughs> and so that's what I said to him. I said, look, we're in, um, you know, we're in hiatus right now. So we're doing both Constantine and we'll come back to Hannibal when Hannibal comes back to air, which he replied with. You abuse the privilege of being in my feed. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, he's somebody that thinks very highly of his Twitter feed and himself. <laughs> so that's, that's, I guess, our first real piece of feedback that right. we've gotten. And that is from at Levi Triumphant, uh, Sir Levi, on uh, Twitter, if you do a search for him. So, so he, it's at Levi Triumphant, or yes. his name is Sir Levi? His, his, uh, if you search for Sir Levi, I think he'll come well, up. But his, his handle is at Levi Triumphant. Obviously, he's been knighted by the queen, so we can see why he, his, his Twitter feed, sh we should respect the sanctity of his Twitter feed. <laughs> yes. Um, so... I mean, go ahead and follow him and let him know what you think of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, he's not following me anymore. So, but, but speaking of Twitter, you can find us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Parish to Thought or at Second Course PC. I'm at Mobtown Shank. 
or you can become a fan of Second Course Podcast on Facebook. And once again, like I said, you can go out to secondcoursepodcast.com slash feedback or hit the feedback tab. And there's multiple ways to send feedback. Audio file, speak pipe through your computer's microphone, or send us an email. And once again, that phone number is 443-491-8505. We haven't gotten any phone calls since I mentioned it, so I don't think we're going to get any this week. So let's pack it in. We're going to pack it in. And thank you for listening again, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back again around 2.33 p.m. next Sunday where we talk about the next episode of Constantine. Uh, and it is called A Feast of Friends. This one's going to be good. And better be good. It better be good. And this is, this is the synopsis that NBC uh, Media put out. Uh, it says, when Constantine's old friend Gary Lester accidentally releases a powerful demon in Atlanta, John is forced to determine exactly what he is prepared to sacrifice. His battle with the in his battle with the underworld. So we'll see what happens with that episode. Yeah, this this ties in with, uh, uh, if you've read the comics, a uh, story arc that appears in Original Sins. So thanks for Sin. thanks for tuning in. Uh, come back next Sunday, 2.30, 3 p.m. We'll be here on Mixler. Uh, we'll be live on the website. There's a web page where you can interact with us through, through text, uh, through chatting, or you can uh, interact with us by calling. Talk to you later. Goodbye from the eat bar. Bye-bye.